Once again, a very warm welcome to those who are joining us online, uh, as well as to those who are here today. Uh, it's lovely to see uh, those who are here today. Uh, can you turn with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 31? 1 Samuel chapter 31. It's in your order of service. We just read it just now. 1 Samuel 31. Let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for gathering us as your people uh, around your word. Thank you that you speak to us by your spirit through your word. And we pray that you help us now as we uh, look at this passage together, uh, that your spirit will be speaking to our hearts, that he'll be showing us Jesus and helping us to love and obey him as our king. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 10th of November, 1942, Winston Churchill made a speech following a battle in Egypt, which Britain won. It was part of the Second World War. And he wanted his hearers to see that even though the battle was won, the war was far from over. And so his speech contained these famous words. Now this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end. It is, perhaps, the end of the beginning. Well, we come today to the end of 1 Samuel. And there too we see a battle to which Churchill's words can aptly apply. But while this is the end of the book, it is not the end of the story. It's only the end of the beginning of the story of the monarchy in Israel. The story of the king and its, and its kingdoms. And the story will continue in 2 Samuel, which was actually originally part of one book. And God willing, we will continue that story next year. But for now, let's look back at some of those key events leading up to this climactic battle. Many years before this, the people of Israel had demanded a king like the other nations who would, guarantee, who would fight their battles and guarantee their safety. A kingship was okay, but the reason was perverse. Because God was the one who guaranteed their safety. That was part of his covenant with them. Their part was to obey. But God still gave them a king. He was the tallest man in Israel. His name was Saul, and he started off well. Among other things, with God's help, he saved a town called Jabesh Gilead from Ammonites who threatened to massacre them and who would only accept surrender if each man gouged out one eye. He was meant to save Israel from the Philistines. But over time, he became arrogant and disobedient. Instead of trusting God and waiting for Samuel, he offered a sacrifice that he wasn't meant to offer. And then when God sent him on a mission to totally destroy a group of Amalekites and all their belongings, he kept back the best of them and tried to pin the blame on his men. And when he pretended to repent, it slipped out that what actually he wanted was to avoid losing face. But God told him through the prophet Samuel that he had given the kingdom to someone better. And that someone turned out to be David. On God's instructions, Samuel anointed David secretly as king. The Spirit of God came upon him. He saved Israel from the Philistines when he defeated Goliath. He became Saul's musician and armor bearer. And eventually, though, he had to flee from Saul because Saul became jealous of him. He was trying to kill him. Saul's own son, Jonathan, loved David, recognized him as God's chosen king. But Saul kept hunting him. And David became an outlaw hiding in the wilderness of Judah. 
and eventually taking refuge in a Philistine city. The last few chapters have been flashing between David and Saul as they headed towards today's climax. In chapter 27, David crossed over to the Philistine side, but he secretly fought and destroyed other enemies of Israel even while he was there. Then in chapter 28, the Philistines marshaled their forces to attack Israel and Saul was afraid. God was stonewalling him. And so Saul visited a medium to get guidance from the late prophet Samuel. And remember what Samuel said to him? Chapter 28, verse 16 to 19. Why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Saul at this point was terrified. He had refused to eat and drink, but he finally obeyed the medium when she insisted on giving him a meal. And then in the last chapter, we flashed across to David who had been in the Philistine army that was going to attack Israel. But thankfully, they didn't trust him and his men enough to let them into the battle, and they were sent home, only to find their families and possessions had been taken away by, the Amalek by a group of Amalekites. They chased them, they found them, they rescued them, and they wiped out that band of Amalekites, picked up lots of booty. And David led them to share the spoils graciously with each other and generously with the leaders of the towns that had been helpful to them when they were running away from Saul. And that brings us to today's passage, where the camera turns back to Saul. And the battle that we have been anticipating has begun. While David was defeating Amalekites down south, the Philistines had attacked Saul up north. And not surprisingly, the Philistines are winning. Without God on their side, the Israelite army is, is pathetic. In fact, they flee. And as the army runs, the Philistines pursue them. And many are slain on Mount Gilboa as they run away. And among them, in verse 2, are Jonathan and Aminadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. And Saul's hopes for a dynasty are dashed. When leaders go down, they often take people with them. We know that Saul is about to be killed, but now we read that many people, including his sons, die as well. And that won't be the last of the casualties we read about today. Even Jonathan, good old Jonathan, a righteous man, is not spared in the onslaught. When leaders go down, they often take people with them. If you are a leader in God's church, watch your life and watch the teaching closely. For if you fall, you will drag other people down as well. That is why James tells us that not many should be teachers. For those who teach will be judged more strictly. And for all of us, let's be careful not to put too much hope in our human leaders. Honor them, work well with them, 
make their ministry a joy, but know they are also sinful people, and place your ultimate hope not in them, but in Jesus. He is the only one we can be sure will never fall, and we can safely tie our destiny to his. Incidentally, you might be very sad that Jonathan dies here, aren't you? After all, he wasn't like Saul. In fact, he risked his life to protect David from Saul. Why should God punish him the way he punished Saul? That would be very unfair. If all that would happen was what had been revealed up to this point in salvation history. And if we were God's Old Testament people, we could just look at this and go, I don't know what's going on. Just trust God that he is just, but don't know how. But now we know that one day Jesus will come and raise the dead and judge each person with perfect righteousness and justice will be done for everyone. And so now we know that Jonathan's story is not yet finished for him. It's just finished for us. But even for us, as we look at our world, we see much injustice. But we can be sure that God will always bring his justice in the end. So that when all is said and done, he will be shown to have been just. And in the meantime, we also got to keep on trusting him. Well, back to the battleground, and Saul continues to retreat. And by the fighting around him is getting more and more fierce. The Philistines are catching up with him. And finally, one of their archers finds the mark. An arrow strikes Saul. He's fatally wounded. He knows he's not going to make it back alive. And he is terrified. The Philistine army are closing in. But he does not cry out to God. Instead, he calls his armor bearer in verse 4. And he says, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. Right? He doesn't want the, the Philistines to capture and torture him to death. But his armor-bearer refuses. He's afraid, and, and, and rightly so. You, you cannot touch the Lord's anointed. And Saul takes his own sword and falls upon it. And in his last act of sin, does what David refused to do. He kills the Lord's anointed. And just to compound the tragedy, when the armor-bearer sees what's happened, he falls on his own sword. And dies with Saul. While the rest of the army is decimated. As they desperately try to, to flee the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. And so verse 6 of chapter 31 tragically tells us. Saul died. And his three sons. And his armor bearer. And all his men. On the same day together. Just as Samuel had said. But even that's not the end of the story. The people of Israel who live in the area and even on the other side of the Jordan abandon their cities and flee because they know they are defenseless and now the Philistines are going to come marching in. And better to be refugees than victims of massacre. And so the Philistines come in and they take over the cities and they live in them. Israel was meant to defeat the Philistines and take over the land, but now the opposite is happening. Because God has acted in judgment on his king and his people. And when the king goes down, he takes many with him. 
But Saul's defeat, and even his death, is still not the end of the story. Saul does not rest in peace. The next day, when the Philistines come to strip the slain, they, they find the bodies of Saul and his three sons. And they cut off his head, they strip his armor. They send the messages of good news to the house of their idols and around the land. And they put Saul's armor in show in the temple of their God, as if their God had given them the victory. And they take the headless body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and fasten them to the wall of one of their cities. Later, when the men of Jabesh-Gilead hear about this, some of their valiant men decide to, to rescue Saul's body and that of his sons. They travel all night, they sneak into the town, they steal the bodies from the wall. Because remember, back at the beginning of Saul's reign, he had saved that town from the Ammonites, and they are still grateful for it. That's why they're acting like this today. And now, they rescue his mutilated corpse and that of his sons. They bring them back to Jabesh, they burn the flesh, remove the bones, and they give the bones a decent burial under a tamarisk tree in Jabesh, the same kind of tree that Saul used to sit under to hold court. And they mourn for him with fasting for seven days. And that is the end of this tragic story. Back at the beginning of 1 Samuel, Hannah, Samuel's mother, spoke these prophetic words. She said, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, and he exalts. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. God is the one who brings down. God is the one who lifts up. He has brought down Saul. He will bring up David. Brothers and sisters, let us take heed not to end up like Saul. It's not good enough to start off well. Saul did, but he didn't finish well. Some of our older members can look back on many years of our Christian life and say, Oh, when I was young, I did this ministry, I did that, I did... Some of us younger ones can look back just before COVID and say, Oh, I used to serve God. There. But today I want to ask you this. I want to ask you not what happened before, but now. Is your heart for Jesus now? Are you seeking to please the Lord in your life now? Are you still turning away from sin now? Are you still seeking to love and serve others, even in your congregation now, despite the pandemic? Are you making your decisions now, not selfishly, but, but in love for God and for others? may have done lots of good things before, but are you still heading in the right direction? 
Well, the good news is, is that if you have started wandering off the path, then unlike Saul, you can still come back. God will forgive you because Jesus died to pay the punishment for your sin. You can amend your life, start afresh. But don't keep putting it off. Don't keep taking steps in the wrong direction. Or one day you will find that you no longer want to repent. And your service of God will just be something that you did in the past. Might still be remembered gratefully by others, but like Saul, your future will be tragic judgment. Please, my friends, don't let that happen to you. Saul failed because, although he started off well, he failed to humbly obey the word of God. And we see just how much Israel needed a leader after God's own heart. And God would provide one in David. David's heart's really for God. Saul just for himself. David obeys God's word. Saul fails to do that. God is guiding David. He's stonewalling Saul. Saul lost the battle, lost his life, lost his people, lost ground to the Philistines. While David was, while God was giving David victory over God's enemies and through him bringing blessing for his people. But even as he heads towards becoming king, we still worry a little bit for David, don't we? Because as a story flicked between Saul and David over these last few weeks, we, we saw hints without commentary that David too is flawed. We're not told directly about what God thought of David's exile with the Philistines. And yes, God brought good out of it and David successfully continued the work of the anointed one through it. But it did come from forgetting to trust God for protection. It did involve deceptive behavior and nearly got put in a very difficult dilemma. And it was only God's grace that rescued him. And this helps us to realize that maybe David's kingship won't be a perfect one either. And we will discover how true that is next year in 2 Samuel. For the ultimate contrast to Saul is not found in the next stage of the story of God's anointed king, but at the story's climax. It's not found in David, but in Jesus. Despite his failure, Saul still points forward to Jesus, for he is God's anointed one. He is the king of God's people. Like Saul, Jesus was seemingly defeated by his enemies. He too was hung up in shame and disgrace. He too was given a decent burial in the end through the surprising bravery of people who knew him. But Jesus really was the opposite of Saul. Saul started off well, finished badly. Jesus started well and finished well. Saul was faithless and disobedient. Jesus was faithful unto death. Saul and Jesus both knew they were going to die the day before they did. But the way they handled it couldn't have been more different. On the night before he died, Saul shared a meal with his men under the influence of a medium who had just helped him to sin. On the night before he died, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples, teaching them to remember his death as God's great rescue from sin. 
Saul was petrified at his coming death and found consolation in the distractions of this medium, God's enemy. Jesus poured out his heart in prayer to his heavenly father. Saul led his people to battle the following day to a crushing defeat and a loss of land, their inheritance. Jesus went to battle the following day to fight on behalf of his people. And at the cross, he saved us from sin and death and hell. And in doing so, secured our inheritance in the new creation. Saul and Jesus both died under the judgment of God. Saul died for his own sins. Jesus died for your sins and mine. Taking the punishment on our behalf so we can be forgiven. Israel needed David much more than Saul. But the ultimate king that God's people need is not just David, but Jesus. The perfect king who saves us from our sin who fought on our behalf at the cross, and who will one day come to judge the world with perfect righteousness at the real end of the story. And we can safely, very safely, tie our destiny to his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you speak to us by your Spirit. We acknowledge that there are still many things that we don't understand. Please, please help us to trust that you're good and that you're just. And that in Christ you will deal with everyone justly in the end. We pray for any one of us online or in person who may be wandering from your path, even after serving you in the past. But please bring them back to you in repentance and faith. Please restore to them the joy of your salvation. Please help all of us to humbly obey your word to the very end. And we pray for our leaders. Please, please keep them humbly trusting you and obeying your word. But please help us to only put our hope in Jesus. And so we thank you for Jesus, that he is that perfect king who fought and died for us, his people, who by his death in our place and the shame of the cross has secured for us an eternal victory. And thank you that we can safely love and follow him as our king, knowing that he will never fall. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.